0: Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men and their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. all
1: right guys here we are again on another monday night my name is jody burkeen i am the founder of man up god's way men's ministry and the host of the man up god's way podcast we're excited for you to be here tonight got a special guest who we'll introduce here in just a little bit but we want to thank you for joining us Uh, we know that your time is valuable and we want to give you some of the best content that you can possibly get on the internet Uh, and in podcasts. And we pray that you'll just share this while uh, this is going on tonight with your friends and family and everyone on your social media networks. Help us uh, increase the viewership so we can reach more of this crazy world uh, for God instead of uh, uh, the devil. And we want to pray that you'll just uh, share this. You can go to our facebook page man up god's way and uh, we have over eight hundred seventy-two thousand followers on there and we would love for you to join us uh, we also have uh instagram where we have thirty-two thousand members and we have a new app which we're really excited about and i'll have for here to tell you a little bit about it in just a minute so for how you doing brother
2: what's up man are you
1: staying out of trouble
2: yeah another dollar another day awesome here we are good yeah. you have a good week i had a yeah i had a really good week i've been uh I've been working from home for the last like month and a half, and it's a it's a change. Oh, that's nice. It's well, uh, it's a change of pace, man. It, <laughs> it sounds nice, but there's uh, there's no one yelling at you if you don't get something done. Wow, that's so, true too. You know, yeah. learning tricks and uh, stuff or whatnot, trying to keep uh, keep motivated and keep the ball moving forward. So,
1: so yeah, for eighteen years, I worked out of my basement. Oh my goodness, yeah.
2: I don't know if I could do eighteen years. Yeah,
1: it was, I I loved it because I I did get to travel a little bit. I used to own a company that did industrial paint booths and we sold them all around the world. And, um, I closed that down when I went full-time ministry in 2018 and, uh, it was good. It was a good time for all those years.
2: I get to, so I have a lot of meetings. Like I have a lot of meetings in coffee shops, which I'm grateful for. If I didn't have that, I would be going crazy. If I didn't have places to go, I get to come here. You know, this is technically work. So, um, yeah, like all that stuff yeah keeping myself sane exactly. mondays are my long days right i'll get exactly. home tonight at like 11 so right good week though
1: well after uh, goofing off all weekend you need a good long day. yeah
2: hey i don't get a weekend <laughs> that's the tough thing you already know like being a i'm a worship leader for a church right. here in st louis so my weekend literally starts around one o'clock on sunday from one o'clock to like 11 get right. a little weekend golf with some buddies and then Turn the switch back on. That's awesome. Start all over.
1: That's awesome. So recently, you were in California, and you did a. um, We talked about this last week, but I kind of want to give it another plug: is your uh, worship CD that you helped work on? Or I I call it a CD. I'm showing my age.
2: (laughs) I gotta go eight track. I'm so old. So Um, I did. I did BVGs or backup vocals for uh, Discover Worship. Um, They just put out an acoustic uh, single. Your love is louder excuse me love is louder right Uh, it'll break my legs if i butcher their titles Uh, your love is louder is what it's called yeah your love is louder um and you can find it on spotify discover church discover worship sorry that's the title discover worship but yeah okay good track
1: here it is and it's on spotify you guys can go there and listen to it it's a good worship i've been listening to it this week great worship yeah it's a great worship song So I got a story to tell you um, this uh, this week, this past week, you know, I, I'm building that house, you know, yeah. for for a customer that I do. I do construction on the side, uh, but I've been building a house for almost a year for a lady who, you know, didn't want to pay top dollar to, yeah, yeah. you know, big construction company. So she hired me and said, I would take all the time that I needed. She just wanted to be into it. You know by spring of next year so um i'm gonna get close to being done but i was down in the basement i had these uh contractors there putting in insulation upstairs so i'm downstairs and my go-to music is grunge like okay. i just for some reason i you and i talked about this last week before the podcast was i just love lyrics like yeah. lyrics to me are um are the key i i just i like if i get the lyrics then Uh, the beat usually follows that. So it's always the lyrics person. For some reason, grunge music for me has always been just, I just love the lyrics. You know, even if you can't understand it any better, I still love, (laughs) you know, the lyrics. But, um, so I'm downstairs, I'm jamming to, you know, Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, just, you know, everything from that genre and back in that day. And all of a sudden my battery dies on my little, uh my little uh speaker and so uh i hear the guys upstairs and they're jamming to this rap music i'm like oh my gosh you got to be kidding me like anything but rap music so i'm trying to find my plug in plug it in all of a sudden i hear the lord is blessing me and jesus is with me and the holy spirit is in me and like it just went down these lyrics and then i was like what are they listening to and so i go upstairs and Uh, There's three guys and they're, you know, they're they're rough necks and not a tooth in their head. And, you know, they're just they're just happy to be there working. And they like, what do you think about this music? And, you know, they thought I was coming up to make fun of I was like, well, to be honest, I'm a little convicted now. And they were like, well, how come? (laughs) I don't even know what they. I, uh, I don't even yeah. know if they knew what convicted was. Your lyrics
2: weren't on point, bro. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly. laughs>
1: so I go upstairs and I was like, "I'm a little convicted," and they were like, "How come?" And I was like, "Well, uh, to be honest, I'm a pastor, and I'm down here listening to grunge music, and you guys are up here." listening to this rap music that's got god in it and i was like i i went back downstairs and i turned my worship music on yeah one of the first songs that came on was this oh that's awesome so my boys will love that
2: they'll be super happy to hear it was kind
1: of cool that uh I started listening to this and it just kind of brought me back to that place. But, That's awesome. Uh, Do
2: you know what artist they were listening to? Uh It was Boost. Boost. Uh, oh, the, so they the had rap, are, yeah, 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 they had
1: the Boost uh FM uh the rap station, Christian gotcha. rap station here in St. Louis. So, um uh, but
2: yeah, That's it was kind
1: of kind of crazy, but that's my uh, conviction story <laughs>
2: <laughs> well so. I don't want to get you off track but I do want to talk about some of our merch stuff right I know away. you mentioned the app um that's how you know uh, there is a cost of the app that's one of the ways that we fund this show the other way is we have some merch so it's manupmerch.com um mugs obviously everyone drinks coffee because we're all hopelessly addicted uh, we have man up coffee uh for those of you who are needing to grind your own and then uh both of your books So man up, Uh, becoming a godly man in an ungodly word uh, world i believe this is your second book
1: no that's that was was my first book i need to be educated
2: on that's all right the books and i know you're working on a couple of others but the second one pursuit of a godly life the second one again all this stuff like jesus matters yep um all of this stuff uh that we have on our merch and we got hats we got you know hoodies and all that stuff uh it just funds what we do uh i I jokingly called this work earlier. we don't really make any money coming here. We're just this is, you know, a hobby exactly. uh, that for you costs you money. <laughs> it does. I mean, you think <laughs> and about gas yeah. to get here for me and what. Well, you think
1: about everything that we do. We all of our streaming software costs money. Yeah, uh, Zoom costs money. All of this kind of stuffs costs money. So we're just asking for a little pittance, nothing major. Um, and but what's really cool is like you can get cool merchandise like this shirt, uh, this hoodie. It's getting cold now. I walked in here today with my parka, by the way. Um, it's got so cold here. Holy cow. The
2: nice thing about them, you know, any type of merch that you're wearing that has something um, biblical on it or a cross or sparks a conversation. Um, I know that wearing that stuff in public is getting less and less popular, Mm -hmm. uh, which sparks more and more conversation. So
1: especially the shirt that we have on it's called man up or shut up. So uh, (laughs) you need to get that shirt. It's got a big cross on the front of it. So if you like to fight, that's a good shirt to wear. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: but, well, thank you uh, for goes I appreciate that. Well, I'm really excited tonight uh, to have my guest on here and uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but um, Dr. Cameron Staley, I want to thank you for joining us here. And we've got a deep conversation that we're going to get in tonight and really excited to have you on the podcast tonight. So welcome.
3: Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to our chat and It's good to know that we have some similar taste in music that already bonds me to you. All right.
1: That's good. That's good. You know, if if I'm being honest, I really struggle with a lot of the... you know, the Christian music, and, and I don't mean, you know, like I just struggle with um, almost the elevator style music that they've created in a lot of some of the worship
2: songs It's just over and over and over and over. So, you we know, we call that traditional CCM is that what it yeah, is Yeah, traditional Christian contemporary most okay. of the artists who are in it. um we kind of like it's cringy to us too okay. but you know that's the industry okay all right so for he
1: he can sing like crazy we'll play one of his songs later on but uh uh the one where he's singing solo he was doing backup on this but uh he's he's got a great voice and um uh we're hoping he can write some good christian songs for us so 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 dr staley why don't you tell us a little bit about uh you know where where you are um your doctorate uh how you got into what we're going to talk about tonight as a matter of fact we're going to be talking about pornography tonight um the ends the outs the goods the bads the ugly about it uh obviously there's no good about it other than getting out of it so uh, we're going to discuss that uh tonight Uh, i'll share my testimony about um my, my my stay in um pornography and uh, what I would consider an addiction and Dr. Staley and I are going to have a great discussion on that. So, um, men, if you are struggling with this, um, uh, stay tuned because uh, we've got some good conversations going on here. Uh, so, Dr. Staley, share share us with how you got. I loved how you were telling me at the beginning of the podcast, kind of how you got into this um, this genre, so to speak, uh, of psychology and um, just trying to help men in marriages.
3: Yeah, it's always fun to retrace my steps. So looking back, I think about 15 years ago, I started graduate school at Idaho State University in the clinical psychology PhD program. And at the time, my plan was to work with couples and improve their relationships and work through concerns that they had. And I felt like I probably needed to study more about human sexuality because that's going to come up quite a bit in some of the challenges in relationships. So my advisor kept kind of pestering me to say, hey, you need to come up with a research topic. Um, So when you're in a PhD program, you have to do a thesis and a dissertation. And so they're pretty intense kind of research topics. And and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to study, uh, but I was actually sitting in church uh, one Sunday and listening to someone from the pulpit talk about the evils of pornography and how destructive it was and how addicting it was and That's a pretty common message in my faith. And and I typically just nod along because I also have moral objections about pornography. But it wasn't until that moment where I thought, you know, I wonder what the research says about pornography. So I never looked at that, never really questioned that. I just kind of grew up hearing that it was an addiction and you should stay away from it. And so when I looked at the research, I was really surprised that there weren't really any experimental studies at that time demonstrating that pornography was an addiction like other substances and i thought well this is really strange like wow. everybody knows this is an addiction like where's the research it hasn't been done and this was over a dozen years ago now at this point point. and so I, I brought this up to my mentor and said hey is this something that we can study and she said absolutely and so we brought folks into our research lab that struggled with viewing pornography and we monitor their brain activity using EEG as they watched erotic films and exciting films and kind of nature documentaries. And at that time, I thought we would be the first lab demonstrating that pornography functioned like an addiction, like other substances. And I was really surprised when that's not what we found. And I thought, Mm. wow, that's a head scratcher. Um, But what we did find is that those that struggle with porn experienced more negative emotions while they were viewing so mm-hmm. they felt more distress and anxiety and guilt and shame so they were feeling sexual arousal but there are also these negative emotions so the media gets a hold of our research and dr phil gives us a call told us to come on the show and it shows up in all these outlets and it basically said hey researchers disprove sex addiction And it's like, well, that's actually. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, that's (laughs) That's actually not (laughs) not what we did. And one research study, and you have to replicate that. And in research, you don't prove or disprove anything. We just didn't find support for an addictions model. But we did find that emotions play a major role, but that's not sexy enough. So that doesn't make the headlines. People kind of gloss over that. But that's a key part of what's driving this concern with pornography.
1: So, so we all like I've heard for years, as a matter of fact, that addict the pornography hits the same place of the brain like heroin and cocaine and a lot of the uh, opioid type drugs hit. Is that so? That's not true.
3: No, I think that's fairly accurate. So, if you think about the reward center of our brain, it activates with any kind of reinforcer. So, if you're using substances, if you're looking at erotica, if you're eating chocolate cake. If you're a female and see a baby, it lights up. If you're a man and see a baby, it actually doesn't light up.
0: Right.
3: <laughs> but it's the reward center. And they've actually okay. studied Christian individuals. And when they're praying, that same part of the brain is activated. Wow. It really is anything intrinsically rewarding and meaningful. Okay. And so I think people see that. And it's like, wow, dopamine's activated when you look at porn and uh, consume substances. Like, yep. Uh, but really, that is just the neurotransmitter associated with any rewarding experience.
1: So do you think that's where they came up with it's an addiction just because it hits the same area, the same reward center?
3: I think that's a big part of it. And I think the rest of it, I'm just going to have to speculate a little bit because there just isn't, there wasn't a ton of research on sexual addiction or pornography addiction in general, but there's a vast literature on substance addiction. Right. So there's a lot of overlap and similarities. And as a sex researcher myself, we found that a lot of grant agencies don't want to fund research on sexual health. And so Mm it's difficult to do the research to begin with. Because
1: sex sells. It can be
3: part of it. And then it's kind of a, a touchy area to look into. So we've had some studies that were funded and then the granting institution says, oh, we're actually going to rescind that funding. So there's not a ton of research on sexuality in general. And so if it's like, well, if people are struggling with sexual problems, if we can say it's an addiction, we can just kind of apply all that literature on substance use to this problem. And overnight we have some credibility and there is a lot of overlap, but there's also some unique things that makes this a different type of presenting concern.
0: Right.
1: Wow. So I'll tell my story a little bit because you know for the last i gave my life to the lord in 2003 after being an atheist for 33 years of my life wow a pretty devout atheist at that where you know i could disprove and you know i could disprove god and you know think i could disprove all these things and yet um not you know know enough about the bible that i could confuse other christians and so forth and so on so when i gave my life to the lord my wife and i had been married 12, um, 12, 13 years at that time. And so we actually used to watch pornography together uh, thinking that it was spicing up the marriage and, uh, not realizing that, you know, it was probably doing, well, I know I shouldn't say probably it was doing more damage, uh, than it was good. And so, um, we give our life to the Lord in 2003, all of a sudden, you know, it seems like women can stop this type of what I would call an addiction. And, you know, again, that that's the discussion I want to have Um, or this habit, maybe uh, a better way of looking at it Um, a lot quicker than men. And so my wife, man, as soon as we gave her our life to the Lord, she's reading her Bible, The Bible's, you know, telling her not to do this. And, you know, she's hearing this from the pulpit and all of this kind of stuff. And the next thing you know, she's not wanting to watch pornography anymore. And I'm like, whoa, hold on just a little bit. That was a little too quick for me. And I'm not quite there yet. So that began, what I call for myself was an addiction for the next um, three to four years without my wife. And uh, I I just got into this place to where I was. um, And I just I felt like I, you know, I couldn't get enough. And, um, you know, it was very secretive. And I was trying to hide it. And, um, you know, the next thing I know, uh, I, I'm finally at a place to where, you know, God's really working on me. He's working on my heart, working on my mind. I read the scripture and I probably read it more than once, but I like the way that God works a lot of times in, with scripture, especially is that, you know, you can read it, read it, read it. And then all of a sudden this thousandth time that you read it, it makes sense. And I think that's God's grace in your life to, to you know, not make you do all these things all at once. And I um, I'd quit drinking. Uh, I was a drunk at the time. I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I quit cussing. You know, I quit doing all these things except pornography. And then all of a sudden, you know, I read, um, even if you look at a vo- woman with lust, you've committed adultery mm-hmm. in your heart. And that to me like broke my heart because I didn't want to commit adultery on my wife. And it didn't make sense to me until that certain time. And so I met with another brother and uh, we were—we had just started holding each other accountable, you know, trying to just be open and honest. And you know, and I—I I was pretty much an open book except for this one issue. And I've always said that men have f- five major issues. Uh, they have—they're—that's they're, they're, how simplistic we are: sex, wives, money, kids, and work. Um, and there's offshoots of each one of those, but in in reality, we're but. The bigger problem is the pride that goes around all of those. You know, I'm so prideful to think that, you know, I'm the only one having sex problems Mm -hmm. uh, or my wife and I are not having enough sex or I need more sex or I'm in addiction to pornography. Um, I'm so prideful to think that I'm the only one having marriage problems. Uh, you know, I'm the only one prideful enough to think that I have money problems. I'm, you know, so pride keeps me from discussing that with another brother. And scripture tells us often that, you know, confession and, uh, keeping each other accountable is really good for the soul. It helps you relieve those things. And, uh, you know, when you can confront a brother or, or keep another brother away from sin, um, you've done a really good thing. So we're talking and we're having this conversation and, uh, he's like, how's how things going? And I'm like, ah, you know, they're, they're okay. And I, th- I said, I'm doing pretty good. And he goes, you're a liar. And I thought you little scrawny, ter- like this dude was about this big around, you know? And I was like, I'll pull you across this table and stomp you on the ground you call me a liar again. And, Uh, He could just see it on my face, he could see it. And that's why I always say, you know, one on one face to face sitting across the table having a cup of coffee is so important. uh, Because you can see the facial gestures, you can see the depth of their eyes, you know, if you, if you see deepness in their eyes, um, there's something going on, you know, uh, most likely, and I think he saw that deepness in my eyes that I just couldn't confront it. And so, um, I confessed to him right there. Nobody had even heard this for almost three years. And so I confessed to him and he just looked at me across the table and I could see it in his eyes and he goes, me too. I have the
2: same problem. Um, that's the only reason he knew you're lying. He's like, there's no way I'm struggling. This guy's not sure <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, you liar. Yeah, exactly. Cause I'm not going to be in the dumpster by myself.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, we started re you know, searching scripture and got a couple of books. One of the books that I always recommend reads is every man's battle by, uh, Fred Stoker and, um, uh, Oh, Jew shoot. I just went brain dead. Um, I'll think of it here in a minute, but it's a really good battle. It's called Every Man, a really good book. It's called Every Man's Battle. But uh, that took us through the summer um, where we ended up, you know, uh, man, I quit watching pornography. We started getting closer. I went and confessed to my wife, Um, you know, instead of packing my bags and, you know, kicking me out of the house, she asked, you know, what, what could she do to help? And that, that gave us that conversation piece to be able to say, uh, and this is the second book that I'm writing. It's called expectation conversations, where, you know, the problem with conversations in marriage is that we don't have any expectations set. So my expectation in my head, my pre my preconceived expectation in my head was, I want to have sex every day. And her preconceived expectation in her head was once a month. Neither one of them are realistic expectations because they're polar opposite ends of the earth. So that gave us, you know, that opportunity just to have a conversation. What's what what would be good for you to stay out of um, pornography? And what would be good for my wife to keep her from, you know, not having to be in the bed all the time? Um, And so that was a great conversation, one of the best conversations that we had ever had at that time in our marriage. And so I say all that to say is that in my head, in my mind, I felt like I had an addiction. I felt because. My whole personality has always been about addiction. You know, it's whether it's sports, whether it was golf, whether it was work, whether it was drinking, whether it was drugs, whether it was cussing. Like I did everything in excess to either I, you know, it it beat me down and I was so tired of it or I perfected it and I got bored with it. And um, so I felt like in my mind, this was another addiction that I just had that, you know, I look back and I've conquered this one, I quit that one, you know. So that's kind of my story about, you know, being in pornography and then being able to open up in a conference. um, We do men's conferences all over the the United States and in in Haiti and Canada. And so uh, I see this issue more and more. And for 11 years, to be honest, Dr. Staley, I've been saying it's an addiction. And so to talk to you, I'm having to I'm having to rewire some stuff in my head and in my talk, so I'm very interested in this because in my in my mind I'm thinking and and again, I've believed all the stuff that I've heard. I haven't gone into research like what you did, but everything that I've heard, you know it hits the is it called the hippocampus, you know, the, the pleasure zone or wherever it hits and it's supposed to be just like the rest of the drugs. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that's an addiction. So yeah. to hear you talk, talk about it and to do actual, do a study, I, I I've got to redirect
2: here and think so. Um, well, I'm actually, I, I'm, I'm super interested in, um, in how you're quantifying it. If it's not an addiction, like if um. Because I know we're talking about, okay, so we're not getting a positive um, feeling from this. We're getting this very negative. So what is what is causing individuals to continually run back, um, even when they're verbally saying, like, man, I got to cut this out, but yet, you know, they run back. Side note, I apologize for all the clearing of the throat. I'm sure you're hearing. <laughs> the weather's changed in St. Louis, and it's <laughs> destroying me. <clears throat> so... Uh, But anyway, that's a you know leading question into kind of where that research led.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's really dry out in Idaho, so we don't have changes of weather. It's (laughs) all out here in the desert, but St. Louis is different for sure. But for me, that's what I was more interested in. And they did a recent review of the research over the last twenty-five years around sex addiction, and there's been probably over four hundred studies in the last. 10 or 25 years and most of those studies have been trying to answer this question is you know is really is it an addiction or is pornography an addiction and over the last 25 years there's been less than 10 studies looking at what treatments actually are effective Mm. like uh oh (laughs) like we could be debating this forever in the end we want to help people overcome this struggle right and when you look at pornography concerns specifically, there's been less than five treatment outcome studies looking at actual interventions that are helpful in reducing pornography. And there's a total of zero studies showing that addiction approaches are effective. And it's like, holy cow, like that's what we've been doing for decades. Wow. And there's no outcome studies. So to your question, like what is going on? This research has only been out in the last 10 years or so. So this is really recent research. And what they found is individuals that struggle with unwanted pornography viewing, you could call it a habit. Um, I often call it compulsive pornography viewing, and I can define that, is people that struggle with compulsive pornography viewing are often less aware of their emotions.
0: Okay. And emotions
3: are what are driving compulsive behaviors. So Jody, as you shared your laundry list of, man, I struggle with this and that and this and that, um, often we found that it's often individuals that are less aware of their emotions. And when those emotions do come up, they want to control them, or they want to get rid of them, or they want to escape them, or they judge the heck out of them. And trying to control emotions actually amplifies them. Wow. And so when you break down the word emotion, it just means to put in motion. Emotions organize us for action. Mm. And so if you're not aware of emotion or trying to control them, they're actually getting much stronger and driving us into actions that are often inconsistent with our values. We're like, I don't even know why I'm drinking or why I'm looking at porn or why I'm gambling. Like,
0: right.
3: I don't want to do these things. And often there's an emotion that precedes the urge to do all of those things.
2: Right. So just to kind of second that, would because you mentioned gambling and alcohol and the same, um, would you say that there those are actually not addictions as well? That those are also emotions. Like now, would you put them in the same category?
3: Yeah, and this is where it gets kind of tricky. Like as far as how we classify these in the profession versus how we work with them in treatment. So in our manual of mental health disorders called the DSM, the Diagnostic. Mm-hmm manual of mental health disorders, substance use disorder is in there. And so is gambling disorder. The term addiction isn't associated with either of those. Mm. That's kind of a, a lay kind of language that we've kind of adopted along with 12 step programs, but the actual label is substance use disorder or gambling disorder, but those are actually in this manual of diagnosable mental health conditions. But what we found is what often drives those behaviors as well is emotions. The different thing with substances, you are ingesting that substance. There are different changes happening. We're metabolizing that substance difference Mm -hmm. differently. There are neurotransmission changes with the ingestion of those substances. So there can be a physiological dependence that results from substance use disorder. And that may be a little bit different than things like gambling or viewing sexual images or gaming. So those other ones are not classified in this manual in the same way. But I would say that those emotions are driving those coping strategies, because I think that's another helpful way to think about it, is using substances, gaming, gambling, overeating, looking at sexual images are really ineffective coping strategies to try to help us control emotions or escape Mm. from them. And that is often what's driving those behaviors.
1: Wow. So I, I deal with a lot of um, uh, paramilitaries that are out there. And one of the paramilitaries that I deal with uh, is actual, um, they do uh, rescue for sex trafficking. And oh. so they will actually go into third world countries. These are all ex-military guys and police officers and they, they do a, a six week training process and program, and then they go off to a third world country acting like rich uh, Americans looking to um, purchase children, you know, for sex acts and different things like that. And they they organize with the government, the local government, and make sure that, the, you know, everybody knows what's going on. And they they pull these things off. And what they end up catching is typically anywhere from, you know, two to 10 American men that are down there, you know, to actually do what they were posing as they were going to do. And they, 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 they recover the children, they put them, you know, in buses and take them off and start, you know, uh, working with them and making sure that they're taken care of. And then they pull these guys aside and they're always asking them how, how did you get to where it's usually a third world country? It's not like it's, you know, they're going to London or Tokyo or New York, or it's always, you know, somewhere kind of shady and, you know, uh, not really, you know, Cambodia or different things like that, Uh, India. And um, they're like, how did you get to where you are today? And um, it always began. Every guy that they've ever talked to says it always begins with pornography. Like, the pornography no longer satisfies them, you know, so watching it on a screen and, um, you know, pleasuring themselves isn't fun anymore. So they go to, you know, the next level where, you know, they're maybe going out to a bar or wherever trying to pick up chicks. And the next thing you know, they're doing prostitutes, uh, and this, it just nothing satisfies them until the point where they're headed off to a third world country like this. And so, that in my mind, I'm thinking that's, that's like addictive behavior. You know what I'm saying? Like there yeah. you know, for, for me. And again, I'm, and I'm an open book. I want to, I I, I want to be knowledgeable about this stuff. And I want to use the right terminology when, mm-hmm. when I deal with this because I deal with a lot of guys, like, I'm not kidding. This is a, this is a big issue in men's ministry. The, the biggest issue in men's ministry um, is that they don't, they don't know how to either get out of it or they don't want to get out of it. Or they're, yeah. you know they're so ashamed about it that they just feel like, man, I just, and it's almost like Pavlov's dog, you know, the, the, you know, you kind of ring the bell and uh, they salivate kind of deal. I think that's what a lot of guys do is they get to this habitual state of, man, they just, they've got to have that release. They've got to have this motion. They've got to have whatever that is. And, I like what you're you know I, I like hearing what you're saying because you're saying that it's emotion that we're stuffing that ends up becoming more of the problem than anything,
3: and that's, that's
0: big, go ahead
3: I was gonna say that's a big part of it, so you touched on some really big things there, so maybe I can talk about yeah. those a bit because please do I think there are different things, and so I think we focus on. The thing that somebody's doing is causing the problem. You're viewing porn; it's causing these problems. And I would say that pornography is a tool, and people may use it for a variety of reasons. And so, most often, when I'm working with people in therapy, they're coming in because they're distressed by their viewing. It's like, hey, I'm viewing sexual images. I don't want to. It's it feels immoral. It feels objectifying. It's causing problems in my relationship. I want to discontinue that. That's most of the people I'm working with. And that fits well with the compulsion model where I'm feeling emotions. I feel anxious or lonely or sad or overwhelmed or depressed. And I view sexual images and masturbate to feel better. And then I feel a lot of shame because I did something that I feel bad about. Oh, how do I cope with that shame? Oh, I'm going to view sexual images and masturbate to feel better. Right. Well, a lot of
2: times not to, I mean, it's, I apologize. I'll let you jump back in it. But a lot of times um, you can not only shame, but you'll be more depressed or yeah. you'll be more anxious or you'll be, you know, whatever it was because it doesn't solve anything.
3: No, no, you're right on. So that, that strategy we're using to feel better works temporarily in that moment. We escape that emotion, but then it just compounds it and it just gets bigger and bigger over time. Cause you're not meeting any emotional needs you're not fostering true connection you're not building that relationship so in those situations i think about pornography like a candy bar that it tasted good it's empty calories it's sugar Um, it didn't require any effort and there's no really vulnerability you ate a candy bar and i think about the things that are truly nutritional requires preparation and it requires effort Requires vulnerability and taking risks, opening up to your partner. That's scary. But for me, that is where true connection and sexuality lies. And for a lot of people, it's like, ah, that is too intimidating. I don't want to do that. I'll go ahead and have the, cookie, the candy bar version, um, which is not nutritional. And right. people tend to then binge that candy bar where it's like, yeah, it, it tasted good, but I'm still hungry, but I felt bad about what I ate. So I'm going to eat a bunch of them. And so there's kind of that binging compulsion that happens because I feel bad about what I'm doing. So I'm eating this candy bar in the pantry with the door closed and I feel terrible, but I can't stop. And that's often what happens when we're doing something where we feel a lot of shame is Mm
0: -hmm. we do it in
3: secret. We do it in isolation. We're not even enjoying eating that candy bar and we keep doing it over and over. That's really different than true connection with a partner that requires vulnerability and conversation and relationship. And those intimate interactions are quite fulfilling and quite satiating, but there's a lot more risk there.
1: That's what I always tell guys all the time. You'll spend time watching pornography and chasing after pornography when your wife's sleeping right in the next room. And all you got to do is go and pursue her. Like if you start pursuing her, like you do pornography, you're going to have an amazing marriage. And it's uh it's usually a vicious cycle that happens. So I've got a couple of, uh, uh, discussion points that I want to talk to you. Like, and again, I'm giving you an in-depth look of of the way that I speak to men. And, you know, I even, I speak about this in conferences, you know, there could be 50 to 500 men in these conferences. And I'm, I'm speaking about this because I do know it's the pink elephant in the room that nobody's Mm -hmm. talking about. And so when I do bring up pornography, I share my story, I share my testimony. And, um, you know, I, I, always, there's a couple of things I think that happens with, and I know that almost started happening with me is sexual dysfunction is starts happening with pornography. It's not like you, um, you know, light some candles and get a glass of wine and, you know, set some rose petals out and watch pornography and, you know, take your time and all that. It's usually for speed and release. And that's that, that whole Pavlov's dog uh, mentality, you know, you don't want to get caught and you want to hurry up and get it over with. And that way, you know, it's, it's over with and you're moving on kind of deal. And it's it, that Pavlov dog, you know, you kind of feed the dog, the meat, you ring the bell, feed the dog, you know, he salivates and you just continue to do that. Well, then you take away the meat and ring the bell and the dog still salivates. Men tend a lot of times to happen to, you know, do that with pornography. Then they get into the bedroom where they actually have the real thing. And the next thing you know, they become the minute man. And, you know, they're no longer satisfying their wife, they're no longer satisfied, and it just continues this vicious cycle. Uh, I've seen that an awful lot. Um, Or the other thing that happens too, is that they're not satisfied with their spouse, because they look nothing like what is on the screen, and they don't do what everybody does on the screen, uh, which... You know, know. you could break, you break something, trying to do some of the stuff that's on the screen. Um, and in the next thing, you know, they're not satisfied with their spouse whatsoever. And I see those as two major problems in marriages outside of, uh, women tend to feel it more than men do, but they feel, um, like you really did cheat on them. Like it was really, uh, an affair. Um, it was emotional an affair, most likely, uh, that sometimes could, you know, lead you to a, uh, a physical affair uh, outside of the marriage. Do you see any of those kind of issues? Or am I just kind of, you know, talking about stuff that I don't really know about? Is that is that a common issue?
3: Yeah, I think oh, all those things occur. So you brought up a lot of things. I, I kind of want to touch on these and make sure I, I get them all. So if I can these backtrack, yes. you brought up the trafficking, which is really extreme, right? And often there's that fear that if you start viewing pornography, it's going to progress to, you know, assaulting other people, to human trafficking. And that is one of the fears. And I think they've tried to study that to say if, you know, pornography leads to other unwanted behaviors, and they haven't found that in research. Okay. That's the, diff- the biggest thing to think about, like, there might be a correlation, but correlation doesn't equal causation we right. often hear that quite a bit so i often think about the ted bundy example so right. ted bundy kidnapped and raped and murdered lots of women and he said the same thing oh I, I view pornography that that is why i did these things and i also think about you know ted bundy also liked chips and salsa you know maybe chips and salsa led to all these horrible things it's like oh i hope not because i like chips and salsa <laughs> Those are correlations that don't lead okay. to causations. And for me, the, the challenge with that argument is it relinquishes people's responsibility for their actions. Mm. Say, I didn't traffic this person or I didn't assault this person or kill this person. Pornography did that. And wow. I would say, ah, we are 100% responsible for our actions.
0: Mm, okay. And so, what
3: true. I have seen is a lot of the, the men and women I work with that struggle with pornography are some of the most religious folks, the most loyal, uh, working really hard to follow God's commandments. They're going to be some of the most faithful partners you could find. And they view pornography. Right. And the likelihood of them cheating on their partner is extremely low to zero. Yeah. And, and they're viewing porn. And then there's other people that are not viewing porn at all that may cheat on their partners and assault other people. And then okay. you got a subset of folks that look at porn and cheat on their partners. Right. And so I think about it is a lot more about the intention and the person and the reason behind it. And so there are people that are really callous and don't care about how they impact others and hurt people. And they also choose to view pornography. Wow. I'd say pornography did not create those traits in that individual uh, but they might also look at pornography as a source of entertainment. And so okay. there's a variety of people that look at pornography and there's not like a path. That, oh, when you look at porn, it's going to escalate. The majority of folks that I work with, it doesn't escalate, but other folks, there's other traits going on. that's driving those really dangerous criminal actions.
1: And that's a good point because last year, I think there was over a billion hours of pornography watched um, just on Pornhub like the mm-hmm. the one major well, it, it beats probably. out
2: Netflix it beats out every streaming yeah. service ever and so so there's not like there's five million you know serial rapists and killers running around yeah there. that's no. that's, a, that's a good point well that's there's an point. interesting there's an interesting for human beings you know to it seems in general have a proclivity um to lean in that direction and one of the interesting things that you brought up you And it, man, it felt so wrong when you said it, but if I'm reframing how I think about pornography, it makes sense. um, If I apply it to your last statement, you called pornography a tool
0: Hmm. and it
2: makes sense when you're saying, no, 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 there's, there's all these different, there's an eclectic mix of different types of people and they're all using it for different reasons. And we can't all put them in the same category of why, you know, they're using pornography. Um, But there are different root causes. And that leads me to my next question is what studies, if any, are there on what those root causes are? Um, you know, what's the majority of the root causes and then, you know, what are the techniques in combating it? Are we even there yet? Because you're saying that, you know, the techniques to combat alcoholism and other addictions aren't actually effective to this particular one. Um, so, and and then that, you know, follow-up question is that, To that is, is there, you know, some fight against studying this because of what the implications like, you know, the woke world doesn't see this as a problem. Mm -hmm. Pornography is just a tool, you know, there's like, I don't know why you feel bad about that. Like, even like you said, Jody, it may have spiced up the marriage a little bit. So so I guess the, the main two questions are, you know, what studies do we have now? And is there something stopping you know, um, you had mentioned grants kind of getting shut down. Like, is there something stopping more studies coming out?
3: Oh, I love those questions. So I'll have to circle back to Jody's other questions too to make sure I get all these. So maybe I'll, I'll jump That's on good. this and then we'll come back to Jody's. So I'd say there's probably four key things we've identified that are driving unwanted pornography viewing. Because you mentioned some people are viewing porn and they're not distressed by it at all. So I'm not really even going to talk about that group. I'm going to talk about those that are viewing and really don't want to. They want to change that behavior. And so that top one is if people are viewing pornography to avoid emotions or to control those, that predicts a lot of the struggle with pornography viewing. So that's the first one is I'm feeling stuff and I don't want to feel it. I want to get rid of it. Um, That's one of the driving factors. People that are not aware of those emotions, that's another one. And then we have a lot of emotional concerns that are there that often get missed. And so I think about for people that are viewing porn and they don't want to, that's often a symptom of something else. And so think about like if you had a cough and you go to the doctor and you're like, Hey, I've been coughing. The doctor's like, Oh, okay. What I want you to do this week is just to not cough. Like go ahead and suppress that cough and you'll be all better. It's like, that's what we've been doing around pornography concerns for a long time is Oh, that porn is, porn cough is nagging, just don't cough and you'll be good to go. But you think about, well, we're coughing for a reason. And so if there's an underlying cold, you might need some chicken noodle soup. You might need antibiotics. You might need some rest. And when you address what's driving it, that nagging cough kind of goes away and pornography functions like that. Mm. So those things that we've seen that drive that are things like shame. And Jody kind of touched on this and mentioned pride and maybe that companion emotion with pride is shame. Right. That we're engaging in something that makes me feel like I am a bad, sinful, immoral person. It's not that, hey, what I'm doing is bad or wrong. I am bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. And so shame is con- encourages us to withdraw from our relationships, from God, from our life. And that shame is a really hopeless Painful, scary, dark place to be in. Yeah, it is. And what we found is folks that struggled with pornography, when they're feeling shame, within a couple hours, it leads to an increase in sexual desire.
0: Mm.
3: Which seems like, wait a minute, that's not helpful. Right. Folks that don't struggle with pornography, increases in self-esteem lead to increases in sexual desire, which makes sense. Like I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I want to connect with my partner enjoy this moment. With folks that struggle with porn, it's like, I'm feeling really bad and I'm feeling really disconnected. And our nervous systems learn that, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. sexual experience connects us really quickly. Let's try to feel better and have that experience. But it's like, ah, but it's scary to connect with my partner. I'll keep turning to porn. And that facilitates that shame. So that's a huge emotion. Other things we've seen as individuals that have insecure attachment styles. So they don't have that secure relationship with their partner where they're pretty avoidant or really anxious. And it's like, it's just scary to connect with my partner. I'd rather have that solitary sexual experience than really connecting with my partner and taking their perspective and and caring for them. Or maybe there's sensitivity to conflict in the relationship. There's disagreements about finances or parenting or hurt feelings, where it's like, I just don't wanna navigate that. Um, but I want a sexual experience, so I'll have the candy bar version instead. And then the other things we've seen is a lot of self-contempt and self-judgment. All those things ramp up feelings of fear and right. shame. And so if we view this porn thing as a coping strategy for emotions, the more you're feeling those negative feelings, the more likely you're going to turn to that coping strategy again. Mm. What so are, those are the big ones. And okay. then the last yeah. one is, Folks that are religious are more likely to perceive themselves to be addicted, and that perception of being an addict actually increases viewing over time, uh, which is really intriguing. the The label we're using might also keep us stuck. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Addiction. Often those great. associations are: I'm powerless. It's a disease. I'm not responsible. There's nothing I can do about it. That relinquishes that responsibility and kind of keeps us stuck.
1: Is it an excuse? Maybe that's, I got an addiction, so it's not nothing I can do about it kind of deal. Do you feel like, is it more of an excuse or do they really feel like they can't get out of it? Like, like for me, like for me, it, it was, um, I, you know, I've i always had a, a great relationship with my, my wife, like, yeah. you know, sexually, emotionally, conversationally, we've always had great, you know, a great relationship. And I don't even know, like for me, uh, it wasn't the, the lack of sex necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did I want it more, you know, maybe during that season of life where I was doing uh, pornography. Um, but what was funny was she could tell a difference after I quit doing porn, uh, in our sex life and our, conversations and mm-hmm. emotionally and all of that compared to when I was doing porn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think maybe sometimes that addiction is an excuse like, Oh gosh, I'm addicted. you know, like, you know, for fat people, you know, they say, oh, I'm you know, I'm, I was born, I'm big boned, you know, my, thi- you know my thyroid's all messed up or something, you know, maybe that's the, the excuse that keeps them from doing that too. Now, don't get me wrong. I know, um, I always, I struggle with my weight, you know, and my, my excuse is always that I like to eat. you know? so, <laughs> so, um, you know, I go up and down and, uh, all kinds of, stuff. I was just talking with this with uh, well, uh, another co-host the other day about this, uh, Ben Neely, who's, uh, couldn't make it tonight, but, um, we were just talking about that. So, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, um, can I answer that one, Jody, real quick? You sure can. Yes, please.
3: So, yeah, uh, there's a researcher, Jeremy Thomas, who was a pastor himself and then became a sociologist and kind of retraced the roots of how addiction language entered evangelical mm. churches and religions. And it entered a few decades ago to really understand why, why are religious folks engaging in this action that we've taught is immoral and wrong? We Yeah,
1: we quit calling it sin. It's
3: like yeah, you so know what I'm saying. Call
1: we quit something... calling it sin, and we call it, now it's got a medical term, which makes it less personal.
2: Yeah, that's interesting too. When you look at oh uh, man, that's yeah. Good. When you look at um, saying like okay, well, this is addictive, right? This is addictive. But I don't have any control over this, but yeah. you know, the Holy Spirit evidence in you is self-control,
0: self-control.
2: <laughs> oh yeah exactly. yes. that's addictive yeah. i can't do anything yeah. about it well hold on isn't a fruit of the spirit self-control right. that doesn't apply to me right now right huh.
3: you're right on so they found that in order to wow. make sense of why are people committing all these sins oh maybe it's a disease maybe it's an addiction mm. it's not that people are willfully rebelling against god oh right. it's going to be an addiction and so in a way it does like relinquish some responsibility and we feel like, Oh, we feel a little bit better. Like I'm not, I'm not choosing this as an addiction. Right. So we feel a little bit better, but it keeps us stuck because I actually do want people to feel the consequences of their actions. Right. So when you're, when you're viewing, it often is turning down the volume of emotions.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so
3: it's like, I'm not feeling the ne- the negative ones, but I'm not feeling the connecting meaningful ones too and so when you said like your partner's like, ah, oh, like I noticed a difference. It's like, yeah, I think emotions are more online, more, more aware or more engaged. And for me, the Holy Spirit speaks to me through emotions. Right. And it's one of the most destructive things with porn is if we're turning down all the emotions, we're maybe also turning down that conduit for the spirit mm. to speak to us too.
1: That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So the question, one of the one you, you're talking about shame all ago, yeah. and you know maybe it's um maybe it's you know spiritually uh inputted in us because of what i would call the sin nature um but in a world right now that is glorifying everything um you know homosexuality transgenderism you know uh, pronouns and er- everything sexually that is, you know, probably I- I'm 53 years old. And so for the first time in my lifetime, it is so open that you can do just about anything, you know, and like pornography on the whole spectrum is what I would think is way down here on the spectrum now with all the other crazy stuff that's going on. Why do you think shame is such a a big deal for people who watch pornography, especially as, you know, culturally appropriate. Uh, You know, I don't like to, I don't believe that, but I'm saying, you know, right now, culture and society thinks, man, more power to you. You know, you want to watch pornography? Great, go for it. You know, I think you should. I think, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Why do you think it's, people still feel shame, even in a culture like we have?
3: Yeah, I think about, I think this is a story as, as old as the garden of Eden where, mm. you know, I think one of the wonderful gifts that God gave us is this body and right. the, the power to create is a really divine gift. And so I think Satan's pretty tricky where it's like, let's attack those things that are the most precious gifts. Let's have you feel ashamed about your body mm. and let's have you feel shame about sexuality And I think about sex within a marriage is one of the most pure, meaningful connecting experiences you can have. Right. So I think about Satan's going to try to erode that in lots of ways. And one of those could be like, Hey, everything's okay. But another way is I want you to feel really, really bad about your body and about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that, that tends to be the population I work with that are more religious, where they often grow up in homes where they don't talk about sexuality and You're taught to kind of cover up and people are pretty uncomfortable around their bodies. And these little kids are pretty smart. Like they're curious and they're learning and exploring and, and they pick up pretty quickly that, Oh, if we can't talk about this topic, it must be because it's a really bad, shameful thing. Mm. And then kids are like curious about how bodies work and how sex works and where babies come from. Then they grow up in a home where it's like, we actually can't talk about this. And it's like, they come across things like pornography which for me is not sexual education. It's, it's not teaching consent. It's not teaching about intimacy or relationships or reciprocity. It's a type of adult entertainment. It, it's not educational material for kids. Right. But they're not able to comprehend that. So instead they're like, wow, this is exciting and kind of scary and arousing. I don't know what to do with this, but I can't talk to my folks. I can't talk to my church leaders. Yeah. I don't know what to That's do right. with this right. shame. Right. And so, and then when you're kind of taught that, you know, this thing you're viewing is pornography and it's really bad and really simple, kids aren't able to separate this behavior is wrong versus, oh, I do that bad behavior, therefore I am wrong. Mm. And so for me, guilt is a really pro-social emotion. Like if I hurt Jody's feelings where I'm like, I don't like your haircut. And you're like, ouch, Cameron, that was kind of me. <laughs> you're like, oh, I feel guilt. I'm going to apologize. That actually helps me move forward and improve this relationship.
0: Right. Shame is
3: like, oh, I'm a bad person for saying that. I'm going to withdraw and shut down mm. and get more stuck. And so those are the, the key things. Is Guilt actually helps us improve behavior. Shame shuts us down. The other part of shame that's going on here is, is shame is adapted for our survival. And so when we're under threat, if we can fight against it, that works pretty well. If we can't fight against the threat, let's run away from it. That works pretty well. Right. But when people are taught that their sexuality is wrong or dangerous or sinful or immoral, I don't know how to fight it. And I don't know how to run away from it. So shame shows up and says, you know what? Let's go ahead and collapse. Let's right. go ahead and shut down. And so in a way, shame is trying to protect people, but it also keeps them stuck. Because as you discovered, Jody, that you know, when you're feeling shame and are hiding things, True connection erodes that shame. Right. Well, shame's trying to keep us safe by saying, Don't tell anybody. That's what perpetuates this. But that true connection, that true intimacy is how we move forward. And that's tricky to do when we're having that shame response so strong, right. trying to keep us safe.
2: Well, it's interesting that we get thrown into it, you know, in the Christian community particularly, this is how I felt growing up. Like I didn't get a birds and bees talk. You know, no. my, bro- my brother told me what he knew and he, and I, you know, as, as adults, we've talked about this and I'm like, so what was your birds and bees talk? He was like, dude, it was trash. <laughs> <I think laughs> it was not good. I mean, we're, we're both, we're pastors kids. We just grew up. No, like don't do that. Yep. Okay. So then we're left to our own devices to figure it out on our own. And You know, I I say, thank God the access wasn't what it was today. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, it's just a weird thing that I got it in the studio with me if I want. It's right Uh, here. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it's crazy the access that we have and um, that our Christian community is having to figure this out for the majority on their own. um, I was one of those weird kids who wasn't allowed in sex ed. And I didn't, Mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't even have sex ed till high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And by that time, you know, I knew from my friends, so I didn't need, I didn't need it, you know, so I knew how the birds and bees worked at least. But yeah, it's just, it's an interesting conundrum in the Christian community. Mm -hmm. Big time.
1: All right. So I want to drop a bomb on you here. I I have a, I have a theory um, that I've been it's still, it's still in the the question phase, so to speak. Um, but my theory is, is that, um, we have seen a massive increase of homosexuality and transgenderism in the last, we'll say 10 to 15 years to where it's coming out relatively fast, relatively furious, uh, relatively, um, pretty powerful, actually, you know, as 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 many people are coming out uh, both in homosexuality. I don't know if you just saw that uh, Madonna came out 63 years old. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, she's so irrelevant. She needed to be relevant by coming out the closet. Um, My theory is, is that because of the advent of pornography, the ease of pornography. Um, you know, when I was growing up in the seventies and the eighties, I mean, you had to pull into a sleazy place with your car. People knew your car, you know, you had to walk in the back alley of, a a place to go view it and all of that. And then, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, you could have a, a video mail to your house. And then all of a sudden in the late two thousands, you could literally pull it up on your phone and your laptop and all of this pornography itself is the watching most cases of two people woman and a man in most cases as i'm watching a woman i'm also watching a man if i'm watching pornography um in essence that's kind of gay um by watching it you know because you're watching the sexual acts of both people my theory is is that i believe pornography is 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 what's What is pushing the, and I I almost think it's a fad um, of this homosexuality and transgenderism coming out so fast and furious that you're just seeing, I mean, they're they're saying transgenderism is going to grow like double every year for the next 10 years, like off the chart kind of stuff. And so
2: it's an interesting Well, I I know you're not asking me. I'm adding to your I'm adding to your question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let me finish the question. So do you think pornography is the cause of this or the root cause of this? uh, Because it's so easy to access. It's so easy to get that, you know, especially for the younger generation that's viewing this, you know, anywhere from, you know, mid teens to early teens, they're really confused on their sexuality, number one. And number two, you know, if they're watching a guy and uh, watching a girl and all of a sudden they fixate on the guy, you know, they start questioning, am I gay? And the next thing you know, they step out and say, okay, well, I'm gay now because I like watching a guy or vice versa. My theory is, is that I think pornography is pushing this agenda faster and more furious than, it would have been without it. Um, kind of what, what are your thoughts there behind that? Yeah,
3: I think I had a similar kind of wondering too when I was younger and before I started into psychology and working with individuals. I think I had that same wondering. Um, but then as I worked with individuals, and I would say I work with a lot of transgender individuals and people who are gay, um, or bisexual or lesbian. And I found that those concerns with pornography are, are really independent. And as I've worked with many folks that are transgender, that, that experience often emerges so young. Mm. Um, even before puberty and interest in sexuality and exposure to pornography, that experience of my assigned gender, my gender identity not fitting and that, that dissonance predates exposure to sexual images okay i'd say nearly every single time um, well, no, that's, that was actually one of the things that to i know. was
2: gonna you know add to the question <clears throat> so one it's an interesting question because you'd have to put it up against you know a culture like rome um and say like okay so there wasn't there was probably their ability to create pornography was near not nearly um what ours was but we know that uh, sexual promiscuity and sexual exploration and all of that was super prevalent in Rome. The other weird and interesting thing um I was watching uh, a video the other day they were talking about uh, the recent developments of transgenderism um it sounded like redheads sorry genderism gingerism <laughs> um is uh the age gap that was uh, becoming more prevalent so it was it had to do with you know they split them into male and female sexes so they say you know um this was showing up in young boys adolescence uh, preteen right that you're getting the majority and this is post uh, i think the year they gave was like maybe like 20 years ago right and they said now in present day we are seeing a um a dramatic shift to now female gender and it's in teens um, when before all before this it was you know males it, was, it, was, like women. it was mostly it was mostly right. a male thing um, and so I'm not speculating on why that is um, I'm just saying that it currently shows the research is showing that so the new the new studies really are, are kind of starting to dive into this is this cultural is this why is this drastic change both happening in- it's almost like
1: mob mentality you know everybody's doing it so i might as well do it well too. yeah that's
2: what they're trying to figure out. i think it was like a prager you video or something like that they said hey there's you know the 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 interesting question is that is a that is a drastic jump in age and a jump in sex which before never was so maybe is there is that a psychological thing, or what is going on there? Um, you know, and I know this is speculation. You're you're a man of science, so you're like, yeah. well, there's no studies. So I can I can really say, um, but you know, in your in your initial onset of that, yeah, you-
3: you're right. There are different trends from male to female transgender versus female to male, and there have been some shifts in direction and age. And we actually don't have answers to that right now. Um, That is to be determined. We're still trying to understand that very question. Um, But I think that was a good question. There are shifts and we're trying to understand those factors and often they're quite complex. Um, The other question that, that Jody brought up about, what about sexual orientation? And what we've seen is typically what people are choosing to view as far as sexual content is often consistent with their sexual orientation. And so when I'm working with people who are heterosexual, they've come come across both men and women engaging in sexual acts. That doesn't tend to change their sexual orientation at all. Uh, Whereas individuals who are gay, they're often choosing to view sexual images that depict individuals who are gay having sex. And so it often reveals sexual orientation instead of informing or creating. Um, I've worked with a lot of heterosexual people who have seen same gender individuals Making sexual acts and it hasn't changed. Never thought twice about yeah.
1: I mean that's I was never like that, but the more that I thought about it, I thought, man, this is kind of gay, you know, that I'm watching another guy with another woman. And then the more that I thought about it, I'm thinking, man, my wife is sitting right in the other room or upstairs or at home, you know, if I'm traveling or something like that. And you know, I could be with her instead of this stupid screen. Like it just makes no, it makes no physical sense.
2: I think, it you makes, know, and it's
1: that self, that self love, you know, kind of self spiritually. Now, like, Don't get me wrong. I, I think, I think when I look at it from a biblical viewpoint and it makes total sense, I, I get why people are like that. We're depraved to an extent and uh, we all need Jesus. And um, you know, it, it, it is a sin issue. And I like what you said earlier that, you know, at, at, when we look at it like that and and stop utilizing the words, the medical terms, a lot of times, you know, even in church or from the pulpit or, you know, in counseling or conf- conferences or whatever, and just call a, a, a spade a spade and call it, you know, it's sin. It's sin that we really need to, and we have to die daily to the flesh um, and, and battle that. And it's, that's a discipline that for me, um, you know, it involves reading of the word and praying and meditating and fasting and and making sure that I do those things often in my life, so I don't fall back into that way. Um, I haven't had a drink in seventeen years. I uh-huh. haven't I haven't watched pornography and um, gosh, what was that? I mean, I'm losing. let's see.
2: So it was about long two- enough. You're losing track of it, yeah. or you could just be getting so, Alzheimer's.
1: So yeah, probably Alzheimer's, uh, but uh, probably. <laughs> 13, 15 years, you know, um, you know, it's one of those, when I look back on it, it was all God that helped me do that. The disciplines that I put in as a, as a Christian man. And, um, you know, I, I studied and I learned in the way that man up God's way became a a ministry was that I I felt like the church and I hadn't been to church since I was 12 years old and 33 years old. I walked into the church. And then a few, a few years later, as I'm, you know, I'm I'm I've read through the Bible more than more than once. Uh, I'm reading about these men and women that God di- gives us the the examples of in the Bible, and I'm thinking there are no biblical masculine, godly men in the church. What what happened? You know, where are the Davids? Where are the Abrahams? Where are the Moseses? Where are the Pauls of the world that actually, you know, did something for the kingdom of God and um, that's how man up was started. You know, I, I just felt that we had feminized the church so bad that um, it made it no fun for the guys. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't a place where they wanted to be. There wasn't, you know, talk about being a man. And and the culture right now is destroying men, especially the middle class white male. Um, you know, they're 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 destroying them and feminizing just about everything. And so a, a lot of that could you know, in my mind could, could be a lot of the problems that we see today, Um, you know, especially um with uh, the feminist movement. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just crazy what they're doing to guys uh, and, and trying to hold them down to an extent and biblically and spiritually, you know, we need to step up. We need to be the man that God's called us to be and uh, walk away from the sin, you know, with his help. Uh, that that we get into our life, and I think a lot of men have felt, especially in our ministry, um, have felt defeated, and maybe that's that shame part. You know, like it's almost, you know, they're they're not they're not the spiritual leaders in their home, uh, like the word calls us to be. Um, they're not loving their wife as Christ loved the church. They're not, you know, raising godly children. Uh, They're not being different at work. You know, they're, they're, they're not being godly Christians. They're not serving. They're not giving, they're not tithing. The next thing you know that they're defeated. And um, I usually start my conference off (laughs) asking if they got their testicles out of their wife's purse uh, so they could come to a men's conference Uh, because I, I feel like they've been spiritually and, and, and emotionally castrated and, Um, they need to, you know, need to step up and do something.
2: Well, what's really interesting to me is that, you know, we're saying these things about almost a standard for, you know, how you operate as a man. And there's no other aspect in my personal life or my business aspect of dealing with individuals outside of church. So when it comes to, you know, I do this all the time. We're talking to people about, oh, I'm going to start a business or, hey, I want to grow in this area. And I'm like, well, read a book, shut off the TV. And I don't, you know, or, or, hey, I want to lose some weight, put down the fork. Like, I don't don't know what to tell you. Go work out. Like, there is no excuse when it comes to issues like this. You know, we, we throw out that. I love that you brought it back to like. A a response to an emotion, or one of the things that you said is like an insecure attachment. Like you have an insecure attachment to something. It's like, okay, in every other aspect of life, I would approach the problem as exactly that. Listen, you know, you have an insecure attachment. That's why you have, that's why you're eating. You need to deal with your problems that are run to, you know, the overeating or the drinking or whatever. But with this one, the church has really. And based on this conversation, you know, alone has really missed the boat when it comes to the approach of how we're dealing with this problem, because when you pull it back to self-control and um, I follow this one gentleman, I'm, I'm not going to plug him because uh, I can't remember his name, uh, but I follow him, But he, he always posts great stuff. It's always anti-pornography. And um, he, he talks about, you know, you're not your physical desires. No. If a physical desire pops in your head. You don't have to act on that. Nope. Like it's just right. a thought. Like, like <laughs> right. You don't have to run to it. Um, and maybe that's the insecurity of, you know, um, you know, the emotions that we're feeling mm. and then running to that to say, you know, I'm I'm going to, I don't want to address these emotions. How can I distract myself? Uh I have an idea.
1: All right. So Dr. Staley. So with that, that being said, in in your practice in your um counseling sessions in your help sessions what are some steps to eradicate you know this this nasty um just you know the only word i can come up with was addiction but we're not going to call that anymore i'm like that really just this, this habit this um this unwanted issue, behavior <laughs> unwanted, there you go unwanted behavior that is causing havoc not only in their personal lives but in their marriages and um you know just over well overall well-being
3: yep. and this is the good news is we actually have the treatment uh, we we mm-hmm. have the answer it's just not that well known but you're naming it that you know, as humans we have thoughts we have emotions we have urges we have a body we have memories and yet we're actually not of those.
0: Mm.
3: Like we have those experiences and we also have our agency. We have our free will and we can choose to obey those urges or engage in actions that are consistent with our values and what matters to us most. Mm-hmm. And the way we unlock that ability is through mindfulness. So there are a lot of mindfulness-based treatments now in mental health. And there's one called acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT it's been around for the last 40 years or so and it has i think at this point last time i checked over 900 randomized clinical trials showing that it's a research-reported treatment for most mental health concerns from depression anxiety ptsd overeating substance use and compulsive disorders like ocd um, it's also an effective treatment for seizure disorder, which is a medical condition. It, it really is quite incredible. And so researchers began applying ACT to unwanted pornography viewing. And the first research study happened in 2010. Mm. So just 12 years ago. I wish I could say this happened a long time ago. Right. It's pretty recent. And then they replicated that study in 2016. So just six years ago, we had the first randomized clinical trial on any treatment to address pornography. There's only one in all of literature, which is just mind
0: blowing. Wow.
2: And it, uh, say the, the word again, acceptance.
3: Yep. Acceptance and commitment therapy, commitment therapy. And what they found is folks that struggle with porn for years and years and decades that went to religious counseling or tried mental health counseling or 12 step programs that after just 12 weeks of act, therapy, folks are able to reduce their viewing on average by over 90%. Wow. wow after 12 weeks. And it's like, whoa, like where has this been? But it's different than addiction. And so instead of trying to focus on hey, you got to control your urges, you got to suppress your sexuality, act is more interested in why well, you need to create a little bit more space for thoughts and emotions and urges. And be more curious about them. Let's observe them. Mm. The more we struggle with them, the Good. bigger that we get. So Jody, you mentioned the pink elephant before. Like right. if I say don't think about a pink elephant, that's all we can think about. Right. So, our mind can only do. It can't not do. And so if you keep telling yourself, don't think about porn, don't think about masturbation, mm-hmm. don't think about sexual images, that's just a giant billboard for porn.
0: Right. And
3: by the end of the day, you're probably going to look at porn and masturbate.
0: Yeah, totally. So
3: instead, the shift is instead of trying to control thoughts, feelings and urges, let's focus on living our values. Let's focus on improving our relationships, improving our physical health, our spirituality, serving our community, actually devoting our time to things we want to build. Instead, most of us are like driving through life, looking through the rearview mirror where it's like, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to crash into porn. It's like, well, you're not like driving anywhere then like you're hitting a lot of like trash cans on the side of the road because you're trying not to go backwards
0: right exactly yeah and
3: so this approach is more let's actually create space for thoughts feelings and urges and when you observe an urge you now have the ability to disobey it Mm. i have the urge to check my phone a lot throughout the day, especially when it dings or vibrates and i'll have this urge to pull it out of my pocket and look at it And when I'm going really fast or really busy or not aware, I'll probably check my phone. Right. Other times I'm more aware, slowed down. I notice that urge. I can be like, oh, yeah, I have that urge to check my phone. I can keep it in my pocket and keep walking. Mm. And so it really is being aware and in tune to those urges allows you to then disobey those and choose an action that is consistent with where you really want to go in life.
1: That's good. That's really good. So how long have you been? Um, so I know you you got your doctorate, what, 10 years ago, 12 years? Yeah, about 10 ago? years ago. Yeah. Okay. So ever since then, is this part of your practice? Do you have you actually have a practice? Yeah, so I've worked
3: okay. at universities for most of my career in the Intermountain West. So Utah, kind of Idaho area. So I mostly serve individuals uh, at the university setting that are struggling with compulsive behaviors. And and I've learned that a lot of folks that struggle with porn are struggling with other mental health issues and porn is just a coping strategy. So they might be yeah. struggling with depression or anxiety, or a lot of folks have really extensive trauma. Mm-hmm. And they've coped with that by looking at sexual images, right. checking out. Other folks struggle with ADHD or mm-hmm. are on the autism spectrum and are all using porn as that tool to cope but the Mm -hmm. things they're struggling with are quite varied and so as i've worked with folks in the university setting over the years uh, i remember the last group i ran a few years ago they said hey you got to make these act principles more accessible if i would have found these online i would have overcame this years ago and they actually said cameron you got to do more and I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay in my therapy office where it's safe. It's safe. <laughs> and they said, no, you've been telling us to take risks and to open up and have conversations about sexuality. And so they actually encouraged me to create Life After Pornography, which is the online program that I launched that is based on ACT. And it basically walks people through 10 sessions of therapy as if you were chatting with me um, in person. Wow. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home on your laptop or on your smartphone. And I made it less than the cost of a single therapy session. So for under hundred bucks, you can learn how to apply these mindfulness-based principles to this compulsive behavior. And within a matter of weeks, instead of months and months and years and years, you can start to live the life you want.
1: That's great.
3: And I really appreciate that shift. This doesn't need to be a lifelong addiction with the right kind of mindset and recognizing, oh, this might be more of an emotional concern the sexual problem. And what am I trying to accomplish by viewing? What are other ways to meet those needs? People are able to overcome this concern much sooner. And so I wanted to make that a lot more accessible and a lot more affordable for folks.
1: That is awesome. What kind of success are you seeing from it?
3: You know, this is the funny thing. I don't know if I should share this or not, but I've I've done a Ted talk on this talking about mindfulness and how acts effective. And I've done a lot of interviews, a lot of different podcasts with people And I've gotten a lot of messages from people where they said, wow, when you start to talk about how shame might be driving this, or maybe emotions are the root of this, I opened up and talked to my partner for the first time about this concern or talked to my church leaders and recognized, maybe this isn't an addiction. Maybe I can actually do something about this. And a lot of folks from just listening to these podcasts and interviews were able to overcome
1: their porn viewing. Despite then, that, not even having to go through the process. Yeah. And then Great other folks point. where it's
3: like, well, I actually do need to develop some skills to right. notice emotions and develop mindfulness and learn about sexual health. So they've gone through the life after pornography program. Mm-hmm. And I love getting those messages where it's like, I've been working on this for years and always viewed myself as an addict. And now I'm shedding that label. And I see myself as a child of God
0: That's or a disciple awesome.
3: of Christ or a husband, or a wife, or a father, or somebody decent and wholesome. And now that I've reclaimed my identity, this need to soothe Mm -hmm. myself by looking at porn has gone down dramatically. And for me, those are some of the sweetest messages I ever hear.
1: Praise God. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, good. So you also have, um, do do you have a book? Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I've written a couple of books. So I did a A companion book about how to overcome porn using these principles and i have a new book coming out next year that my working title is um confessions of a christian sex researcher okay uh, where i take people into the sex lab and the research realm and take people into the chapel and hopefully to convince the world that religion and science and sexuality and faith can like play in the same sandbox and get along
0: awesome like all of
3: these things can be helpful. Right. We can use science to and mental health to improve our faith and to improve um our relationships and vice versa. Um but right. these things can be quite complementary.
1: So do you see um in your world, especially in the, the psychology world, um, do you see definitions changing from you know years ago, you know, whether it's whether it's uh same sex attraction or transgenderism or like, I hear that, you know, like the, the, the goalposts keep keep getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And um, is that something that you're seeing in your, in your field? Um, is it, do you see that changing? Like it, yeah. it's almost, I, you know, again, this is all, I haven't researched it, but it's all hearsay of, you know, whether it's a podcast I've listened to or something like that. It, 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 is that really changing to so, you know, for, hundreds of years, 500 years, whatever, you know, that, that time is, they define these certain things as certain, certain things. And all of a sudden, the last, you know, 1520 years, or even the last five years are starting to change things like very dramatically.
3: Absolutely, there's definitely an evolution. So an example about pornography, there used to be an academic journal called the Journal of Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity. Um, Within the last year, they changed that to the Journal of Sexual Health and compulsivity, um, because that term addiction seems to be more problematic than helpful. Um, So that language is going to be around for a long time, but they're trying to update that. that, Yeah, we're seeing compulsion as a part of this, but let's focus on sexual health. Um, Addiction doesn't seem to be facilitating change as we would hope. Um, And it used to be even up until the 1970s, homosexuality was a diagnosable mental health condition. Right. Um, Just like depression or anxiety. It was in that DSM manual. Um, They have removed that to say, actually, there's a lot of folks who are gay that are quite well adjusted and don't struggle with mental health problems. So that's no longer a mental health condition. And in the last edition of the DSM in, let's see, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there, um, gender identity disorder, Uh, was still listed as a as a mental health diagnosis and they have since retired that one and call it more gender dysphoria right Um, it's the same thing there's transgender individuals that are quite healthy and well and and well adjusted and are just experiencing discrepancies with their gender identity so that's no longer a a diagnosable mental health condition and that's just in the last decade right um, that that has changed and in terminology around Um, gender identity, sexual orientation identities changes rapidly. Um, So I'm often like trying to learn like, oh, what's (laughs) transsexual meaning? What is demisexual? I'm not sure. Right. I try to be very respectful and it's been very humbling. I would say as a psychologist, I I think I had a lot of preconceived notions about what these sexual and gender identities meant. And then when I actually work with individuals, um, LGBT individuals are some of my favorite people to absolutely work with. And often there's not a safe space for them to understand themselves or to receive support or navigate mental health or their faith. And so that's actually maybe my favorite population to work with is religious individuals who are trans or gay and really trying to sort these identities out. And they often do it in a really quiet way. It's not public, it's not online. Um, These are people that are just trying to figure this out um, so I definitely have a soft spot and a passion there, and I try to follow my Savior's lead, where he went after the one that was right. kind of pushed out by the flock sometimes, um, and he served those that were often deemed unclean or not worthy by other kind of church folks. And for me, it's like that's who I'm going to sit down and eat dinner with. Um, that's who I'm going to find. That's the person hurt on the side of the road that that needs my care. Right. I don't want to walk past them. So. My views have shifted quite a bit as I've just got to work with a lot of people that are just really good people trying to figure out some things that are quite complex.
1: Well, that's awesome. Well, good. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying we need to like just push them off to the side and not think of them. I I, you know, I, I think that's part of my theory that you kind of just blew up my face while ago, but uh <laughs> I'm still gonna yeah. stick with it until I figure it all <laughs> out. But uh, I believe that what we'll see in the next 10, 15, 20 years is a massive um, uh, exodus of potentially because uh, of homosexuality and transgenderism. And the reason I believe that is because I do believe that it is such a uh, it's it's I wouldn't call it a fad, but it's almost like this. Oh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's, it's almost like this social construct that has happened that all of a sudden everybody is just kind of taken in, you know, like clothes, you know, sometimes everybody wants to wear the same clothes or the same shoes or the same, you know, all of a sudden I think this, and I think, you know, in 15, 10, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, people are gonna realize like, I wasn't really gay. I wasn't really transgender. I was just, you know, kind of, you know, like, You don't see that many hippies anymore you know (laughs) you you see them you know back from the 70s you know everybody was trying to be a hippie and then everybody kind of grew up and grew out of it so to speak and there still are some that are still out there that are hippies and again i may be completely wrong but it just seems like it came on so fast and so strong that it's almost like you know it's 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 a mob mentality you know everybody all of a sudden you know somebody throws a rock next thing you know everybody's throwing a rock kind of deal and um uh again uh, it it may be you know you may i may talk to you in 15 or 20 years from now you'd be like no it's not (laughs) nobody's coming out uh so it's been
3: uh, interesting i get to work with 20 year olds 30 year olds and 60 year olds at, at the university setting and and i've worked with 60 year olds that are coming out for the first time and they share with me it's like i've always felt trans or gay but this wasn't something we talked about there was no space i had no understanding so in a way, you're right, with more awareness and conversation, there's probably more people coming out and talking about it, but I've worked with lots of people from older generations where it's like, this has always been me, but I kind of kept it hidden, because um, it wasn't safe, or I didn't know anybody else, I just kind of kept this closed, um, so I've definitely worked with folks across those generations that have had that same shared experience. Right,
0: well, that's
1: that's good, that's good, good to know, because I, you know, the other question I have um for you is how do you separate, you know, your medical diagnosis compared to your spiritual diagnosis? You know, I mean that for, for me, everything in everything involves you know, the spirit of God and the word of God and the you know Jesus Christ. Like that 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 to me is the focus. Like that's where if I were a surgeon that's the scalpel I'm going to be using to start cutting. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as a psycho as a psychologist or psychiatrist. Psych- psychologist. Psychologist. Yep. Um, how do you, you know, make sure that you're not stepping into, you know, maybe a, a vein that you didn't want, really want to go into? Or, or do you separate them? I guess is the question.
3: Oh, those are good good personal questions. I'll I'll do my best <laughs> to kind of share my thoughts on that so I think when I went to graduate school my mindset was I'm going to learn everything I can to be a psychologist and to be a really competent ethical practitioner and and learn what I can about science to help people as much as I can and so when I was in graduate school I wasn't really trying to integrate psychology with my faith at that point right. um I've been a lifelong Christian and I still went to church every Sunday and still do um, even during graduate school which a lot of my colleagues in the program are like you spend that many hours at church on Sunday like what are you doing <laughs> for me it's like yeah that's my faith that's that's what keeps right. me grounded and keep me balanced but I think I went in the idea with I want to learn as much as I can from other psychologists in this profession and I would say as a whole I think psychology has a tradition of not being as respectful about religion and spirituality as as other aspects of diversity, like ethnicity or sexuality. Um, So for me, I'm like, I think we probably should respect religion too. And so for me, all those aspects of, of diversity matter. And so now that I've been practicing for a long time, I think about in many ways, my faith is so central to me, it is what grounds me. And so I think about a lot of people I'm working with are struggling and kind of lost and disoriented, and they're kind of out to sea floating around. And for me, I can't just like, hey, like come back to shore. Or like you're really depressed or you've gone through some horrific trauma. Like come back. Right. But I actually have to go swim out there and find them. And I have to meet them and enter their world and experience what they've experienced to truly empathize and connect with them. I kind of got to go through the muck. And so in a lot of ways, my profession is very X-rated. Mm. I hear some of the worst things imaginable. And right. I swim through that to find people. And for me, what helps me get back to shore every time is my faith. Um, that it, it is on that foundation of I'm going to love God and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And for me, I, 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 do, I try to emulate my savior the best that I can And think about, you know, how would Christ respond and and treat individuals who may appear very different than me or struggling with things that I might not understand or never experienced myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, that faith allows me to work with individuals that struggle with very different things, belief systems or standards around morality. For me, I, I don't find it a challenge to work with people that are really different from me. That's good. because of my faith. That's what brings me back to shore. So I try to have a lot of balance in my life where I wake up early and play basketball with my church buddies. And and I have a bunch of kids. So I spend a lot of time with them going to all their sports games and helping them with homework. And I attend church on the weekends. And so I take care of my physical health, my relationships, my spirituality. And that allows me to be as a psychologist who I need to be and that is to truly care for people and empathize with whatever struggles they're going through. And for me, I've learned to love diversity and to love working with diverse viewpoints that are different than mine. For me, that gives me so much beauty. And I've learned to love a lot more broadly from a lot of my LGBT clients I've worked with and other people have experienced horrendous discrimination and oppression. It's been very humbling for me and, and taught me in so many ways to be a better Christian, and yeah. I think that's interesting. Where I'm like, I learned how to be a good Christian in church, I think I've learned how to be an even better Christian as a psychologist, truly mm. loving people in those moments,
1: right? Yeah, a lot of times I'm I'm I, I try not to be this way, but sometimes you know, it, it comes out very, um, you know, like we are to love the, you know, love everyone, you know, that's the whole goal of, you know, and I think a lot of times we get so caught up in our church that we just, you know, the next thing, you know, it's just us church folks. And we're not really doing what the the mission, the great commission is, is that we go out and, you know, share the gospel with those who need to hear the gospel and love those who are unlovable and take care of those who are are in need. And uh, a lot of times we forget that and, um, I think, you know, that's where, you know, my, my, one of my big problems with um, is, is learning to love them without condoning what they do spiritually. Um, And that goes with anybody who walks in the church, not just LGBT or transgender person. You know, that's, you know, if, if one of my brothers were, you know, having an affair, it would be something that we would have to have to talk about. And, I didn't know how, you know, as as a psychiatrist, because I know there's some not only legal, you know, ramifications um, by kind of fusing those in together. But uh, it could it could just take you down some places and and kind of pigeonhole you to a place where you really couldn't work with a a whole lot of people. So I appreciate your your honesty and your openness with that. That's pretty cool. So the last thing real quick is that you do have an app. Oh, yeah. True. Okay, Yeah. Uh, so I got the app a few months ago and, um, just going through it, you know, really quickly. And, um, uh, I, I, I think what you've got here is a, a really cool app because, uh, uh, how did you come up with the, um, uh, like the airplane, you know, kind of, uh, formulation, uh, all of that kind of, and that the app is actually called life after porn, uh, pornography, not porn. And it is on uh, Apple iTunes. That's what I got it off. I'm assuming Google Play as well. Yep. Okay. And so, does this actually takes you through that um, act? uh, uh, What do you call it? Program tool, whatever you want to, whatever you use. So it will take you through that. It gives you journals in through it. Uh, It helps you work through a lot of your thought process. Um, And it's it's a really really cool app i'm uh, pretty impressed with you You did a great job with it
3: well thank you yeah so i I launched the life after pornography online program first a couple years ago and and then i was approached by um, a man that created the app or i guess he created several apps um, Mm -hmm. one called intimately us and so he's his whole organization is called get your marriage on and so it's a christian group that's like we need to help christian couples have better sex and healthier sex right so he created this wonderful app called intimately or Intimis intimately us where you can download it your partner can download it and they actually sync and you can oh, learn cool. about sexual health and do a lot of fun bedroom games together so his app has helped i don't know how many subscribers over a hundred thousand i can't remember a couple hundred thousand folks and so he approached me a year or two ago and said hey cameron we wanna help couples overcome pornography issues. And I love your online program, let's make it into an app. And so we did create the Life After Pornography Coach app that you can get on uh, Google Play or iTunes. And so it's a simplified um, from my online program, but it's based on acceptance and commitment therapy. And there's a lot of interactive tools to increase awareness of emotions, develop willingness skills to experience thoughts, feelings, and urges. Start to reflect more on your experiences with that journal. Um, There's a built in forum so all members can interact with each other and and ask questions. And I do monthly office hours there to answer questions for folks. So I came up with the pilot metaphor because I've realized that so many folks are on autopilot, the urges are calling the shots, the emotions, the the thoughts, and, oh, I'm an addict, and the addict's driving the plane.
0: Right.
3: Like, <laughs> I want to get people back in the pilot's chair that, that you can live your life. Mm. But you can have an urge, but it doesn't have to take you off course. You can mm, have a thought, an emotion, or memory. These storms come up in life, they don't have to push us around. Right. So, with these principles, you can start to navigate towards where you really want to go. And that's the beauty of ACT. So, I tried to simplify ACT into more of a coaching model in that app. So for a lot of people, just getting those principles and that model is enough. Others, they may need the more in-depth online program. And then I do coaching service as well, as well, that for folks that need more one-on-one support um, that want to apply act that are maybe struggling with some specific things or want a little bit more one-on-one support.
1: that's great. Well, you've got so many tools out there for, uh, for help. And I appreciate that. Uh, I've got a lot of, I've got uh 17, 18 years now of rethinking of everything that I've been teaching. <laughs> so you like you like totally messed me up, man. Uh, that's my goal, Joe. That's what I do it, is yeah I a,
3: things up. Yeah, kind of pull things apart, way. and we rebuild it. <laughs> yeah,
1: in a in a good way. No, I mean I I I I I always want to be right, you know, when you're teaching yeah. kind of stuff. Like the, the worst thing you can do is share information that's not correct. And um you know i've got some i got some thinking to because I, I i myself had called it an addiction i had an addiction and yeah. uh to think of it in a different way i'll be honest man i've never even thought twice of it being something else there other than a yeah. sin issue you know i mean i'm i'm always you know the, the pastor in me is always looking it's oh, a sin issue you know to begin with but um I I really like the way that you've done this. I like the, the studies that you've, uh, you know, been able to uh, spout off to us about, you know, the or the lack there of studies. And yeah. I think it's really cool that you actually did a brain study or, you know, just, you know, throwing it out there and and seeing what it looked like and what it came, holy cow, dude! That that is awesome. So I appreciate that. It's uh, been very insightful and uh, a very good podcast. And I want to thank you so much for for doing that.
2: So regardless of the approach, you know, of how you're addressing this, uh, we'll call it a habit, not addiction, <laughs> a, an unwanted habit. There we go. You know, there's there's one there's one interesting thing or a good thing that comes out of it. You know, it's, uh, and I think, I don't know if I've heard you talk about this, uh, Jody, but I I know you know this analogy, um, that the gospel is a really good mirror. You know, it's a great mirror to where um, you can see how messed up you are. There's a quote um, from C.S. Lewis that I really, like. this is a um, direct quote, but it's pulled from a much larger quote. You can go check it out. But Um, no man knows how bad he is until he tries very hard to be good Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a there's an interesting thing that comes from you know fighting this quote-unquote fight fighting those urges and I and I know um, uh, part of that is us not fully understanding you know where those urges are coming from but the The thing that it does really help us understand is how great God's grace is. And we go back to Paul and they say, you know, well, Paul, what happens if I if I sin He's like, well, then grace will, you know, increase. Well, what if I sin even more Then grace will increase? Well, shoot, we should go on sinning, you know, that way grace may abound by no means, Mm, you know, may it not be. Yeah, may it not be. Um, so, you know, just to encourage people who are listening to this and saying, hey, maybe this is something that's saying, oh, you know, there's maybe there's a new option or uh, this is, you know, something that can fix the, the problem. Uh, the problem is a heart issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, the problem is we are we are born into sin. The problem is that that sin is a great reflection of how messed up we are. Um, this is an awesome approach of of maybe attacking some root problems um of emotion and and what your triggers are as you guys were chatting i was reading up a little bit on act and just seeing kind of like the approach and whatnot there's a lot of information out there on it you guys check it out and um this was encouraging uh, for me that's no secret like this like sexual temptation is one of the things that i've struggled with my entire life not only pornography but just sexual temptation in general and um it's a you know, it's an it's an unwillingness to bow your life to the King when you're seeking out affirmation outside of of Him, and um, this this was great. Yeah, like Jody said, it's a great podcast, man. Good stuff. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Doctor Sting-
3: and that thought of like, if some folks are like this is an addiction, it's like okay, even if All it right. is an addiction, ACT is still an effective treatment, that's, <laughs> and yeah. that's the good news is it still works and. And Jody, maybe the last thing I'll toss in there, how, how you walk this line, I found that understanding a behavior is very different than justifying a behavior. Mm. And I found that understanding what leads to that's this good. action helps us change it. And that's not justifying. And I've also found that not condemning somebody is not the same thing as condoning mm. an action either. And so right. I find that if I can stay in that lane of I want to understand what's going on, we can change behavior. And if I don't, I don't have to condemn you to do that. I can really see that person and unlock their potential and help them move forward without trying to justify an action or or condoning it, but staying right. in that let's understand it so we can move forward.
1: Man, that is really good. I appreciate that. That's good, uh, that's a good word. Well, Dr. Staley, I want to thank you so much for taking your time here. And uh, I hope uh, that you get back with your family before it's too late and uh, uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. Again, I think, are you an hour behind us? Is that right? Yes. So, yeah, I think you're an hour behind us. So, uh, again, thank you so much, uh, folks. If you get an opportunity to go check out, we've already got it in our comments section. Um, Dr. Cameron Staley. You can check him out. He has his own website, got his own app, and uh, he is uh, uh, um, wanting to help you uh, get out of this craziness that um, is is running your life. I mean, I've seen men, I've seen marriages, I've seen young children. I mean, even my own children. We have a, a pretty uh, protected home, and uh, even my twins. Um, you know, around seven, eight years old, you know, found pornography on an iPad that wasn't supposed to have any service on it. But somehow it got service on it. And uh, the next thing you know, they're they're seeing stuff that they shouldn't have been seeing at seven years old. So uh, I think the last study that just came out was the average age was between seven and an eight for first viewing of pornography. And so folks, make sure that you protect your children, um, making sure that you don't give them phones or iPads without uh, supervision. Uh, It doesn't take but just a second for them to get on something that they shouldn't. And it could lead to years of, um, of just pain and heartache. And I pray that that doesn't happen for you guys. So again, Dr. Staley, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate having you.
3: Thanks so much. It was great to join you both.
1: All right, brother. We'll talk to you later. And guys, make sure that you check this out tomorrow. It will be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and all popular podcast platforms. So uh, go and check it out and share it with everybody that you know. Thank you, and God bless.
0: You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at ManupGodsway.org.